Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor. I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode, where are we at? 59. Episode 59. And it's still just the OG crew. Unfortunately, Justin is still still out on us. Not sick this time, but he does have a family thing going on right now. So obviously his family and him are, are in our thoughts right now and hope that everything turns out for the best. Um, but he is he is unable to be with us tonight. So it's just Sam and I holding down the fort. Um, while we patiently wait for, for Justin to be available again. Sam, without further ado, how are you doing tonight, sir? What are you sipping on? Well, I'm sipping on some Buffalo Trace with a little spritz of some bitters. Or What is it? Aro- aromatic bitters? Aro- aromic yeah. bitters? I don't know. Something fancy. Aromatic. Aromatic yeah. bitters. And, nice. Uh, it's pretty good. I I've been having a little bit too much. You just did the bitters with the whiskey. Yeah. You should do a little bit of the boom and the, and the bitters that'll balance each other out. How so? I'm not. So the perfect cocktail in essence is described as it's both sweet and bitter. Mm. So like you want a sweet element and a bitter element. That's why like bitters are used a lot in, you know, like old fashions or right. Manhattans or something like that, where you have like a sweet vermouth or a sweet liqueur element to it, but then you had it have the bitter element to it kind of on the end. Gotcha. So try it with both and it might, they might kind of even each other out next time. You don't have to do it now. Next time. Just for future reference. Oh, next podcast. I'm going to hit it up and I'll, I'll report back. If it sucks, then you can just get mad at me on air. I will. I will. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to mess with a good thing. Boomerang on its own with some whiskey is really nice. So I didn't want it is. to tamper. It has its place. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, it has its place. So how That's about fair. you? What are you sipping on? Well, because Justin is unable to be with us tonight, I had to sip on his favorite beer, Mac and Jack's. So this is an ode to Justin tonight by sipping on some Mac and Jack- Jack's African Amber. Very nice. Very nice. That's a small can. Just you have, gotta have a backup, right? I have another Mac and Jacks. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> no, I I didn't say favorite drink because that would have been water. Obviously, that's true. I'm not H2O. drinking. I am drinking water, but it's on the side. I'm not water boy, but mm-hmm. I will sip on his favorite beer, at least the beer that he typically has on the podcast, which is the Mac and Jacks African Amber. Yeah, if we're gonna pay homage to Water Boy, it can't be. We're not gonna go that far. Go to water. <laughs> no. no. Well, I know off the top of our heads before we dive in, I know we're going to talk about some college football realignment, talk about our Mariners yep. and our most favorite athlete of all time, Julio Rodriguez, in a minute. <laughs> but before we dive into any of that, just kind of carrying where we left off the last podcast, I know we dove into recruiting quite a bit. Um, since we last recorded, we did get one more commit and a big one at that. Curly Reed, mm-hmm. and I know we mentioned him on the last podcast, but he's a top cornerback prospect across the country. I mean, offers from LSU, Texas A&M. Again, like we mentioned, he is from the state of Louisiana. So the fact that 
Kalen DeBoer, Courtney Morgan were able to pull him in the boat is something that Husky fans should be pumped about, especially on the heels of the two highly regarded in-state corners in Josiah Wagner and Caleb Presley going elsewhere. This really helps soften that blow in a lot of ways. I mean, Curly Reed is arguably the better prospect of the three. So that's a huge get four star composite and two, two, four, seven ratings above 90. So major, major get for this class. He becomes our highest ranked, highest regarded recruit immediately. So big news on the dogs recruiting front. The momentum is just rolling like a snowball down the hill, keeps getting better and better and better. So super pleased with that. And this coaching staff and recruiting staff is doing all of this without even winning a game yet, which is, in my opinion, just super impressive. They've been on campus for seven months, going on eight months. And Mm -hmm. it sure feels like there's a lot of buzz and the hype train has turned around and pointed back towards Montlake because we're in a good spot right now in terms of this 2023 class compared to, you know, relatively where one we were last year and where this thing could have been headed. Right. For sure. And uh, picking up on that note, as far as recruiting momentum, we got Jordan Sanford's going to be committing. I think he said that he's going to be committing on August 4th. So in a couple yep. weeks here, um, largely thought that UW is leading for him. And I would kind of be surprised at this point if he doesn't end up yep. committing to UW. Um, on like the other side of things, uh, Ben Ngoi or whatever his name is, ended up the wide receiver from yeah. Nebraska ended up committing to Iowa state. So kind of last minute there, Matt Campbell and camp were able to reel him back into their fold. So a little bit unfortunate news there, but it's, I mean, it's a three-star re- receiving prospect that like, we'll, we'll get someone else to fill that, that mm-hmm. spot. Um, similarly, Tayshawn Lyons was set to commit pretty, pretty quickly here. And he's actually kind of a, a riser right now he's a three-star borderline four-star now and was kind of like middle of the road three-star not too long ago um but now he's putting off his commitment until at least in into the season so it's going to be into the fall probably towards the end of end of the fall and maybe even a december type commitment for for him um he's taken his time and Unfortunately, that means that UW was leading for him and was in a pretty good spot for him. And obviously now this gives schools a, a chance to kind of get get in his ear a little bit over the next several months. And I think he got some some other offers in the last couple of weeks that opened his eyes a bit and realized that there might be, you know, a, a better fruit out there for him at, at some point. So hopefully he, he still ends up wearing purple and, purple and gold. I really like like him as a prospect and I think he could be a really good player. Um, but we'll see what happens on that front. We're still in a good spot for him. I, I wouldn't say that this means that we're not going to end up signing him, but um, he's just putting off his commitment for a little while. And obviously these commitments are, you know, they don't mean a lot <laughs> at this point. Like it's great right. to have them and it means that you're leading for all these guys, but until they actually sign on the dotted line, they can do whatever they want, you know? So um, that being said though, the guys that I think that they have in the boat are, are pretty solid commitments. So, yep. Just keep that momentum rolling. Gotta love it at this point. I mean, I mm-hmm. can't say it enough, really surprised that 
Yeah. You know, you talk about Jordan Sanford's commit date in a couple of weeks here and feeling confident that that's going to go our way. I mean, even just listening to you say that is kind of have to pinch ourselves. And it wasn't too long ago where these commit dates coming up were like a reason for anxiety and nervousness and just expecting the worst, but it's quickly turned around to the point where a lot of these recruits, it, it's just been going our way, which is, I think hats off to the staff. And again, I know we've mentioned his name a lot, but Courtney Morgan and the rest of that recruiting staff are just pounding the pavement, really making inroads across the country, which is great. Yep. For sure. And I guess I didn't touch on Jordan Sanford. I think we touched on him a little bit last time, but he's another four-star guy, um, mid-four-star guy. He'd probably be like, I think, our third or fourth highest-rated recruit if he ends up committing. Um, So And solidifies that defensive backfield even more. True safety prospect, but with him and Curly in in the fold, that's, I mean, pretty good one-two punch there in the backfield. Oh, yeah. for for years to come so that's that's exciting gotta keep dbu on Montlake. <laughs> <laughs> i know no more jimmy lake but it doesn't mean we can't develop defensive backs so we'll see how, we'll see how everything goes i'm excited to see this team on the field man i'm i know like it's the, all the up recruiting on momentum is i know it we're we're what two weeks away from fall camp yeah i think it starts crazy. on august 4th as well so um it's sneaking up quick and hopefully my schedule permits me to be able to record something in in august with with you guys on some kind of you know obviously football preview on both of our teams um so we'll i'll make it work but i might just be a little bit out of it might get a guest appearance maybe yeah i don't i don't think he's gonna be very talkative unless he's crying we should get a little crying sound bit for when we talk about <laughs> when we talk about the Seahawks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to need that. We're going to need that. <laughs> I can't wait to talk Seahawks with Justin again. It's been too oh, long. It's not going to be good. It's he's not it's fun be, to get him riled up he's about. He's not going to be a happy camper. <laughs> no. No, he's definitely not. Um let's talk a little bit about this realignment and why don't you give people a little bit kind of the the landscape of things where we kind of left off in the last episode. Um, we can kind of go over what we had, what we had gone over briefly last episode and then kind of, I mean, it, if anything has changed and kind of where we are now, sure. Um, at about two or three weeks later at this point. Yep. So just recapping from last podcast, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, basically the sky has fallen in NCAA college football <laughs> and teams are, getting poached left and right. So just kind of recapping what we know now in terms of future moves from teams from one conference to another, obviously the big headlines recently, USC and UCLA are big 10 bound in 2024. Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the big 12 to the SEC by at least 2025. There's thoughts that that might creep up and be a year or two earlier than that. And then as a response to Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12, the Big 12 has gone out and picked up BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston, which will be coming in in 2024. So that's also kind of like 
Are you really going to have those four new teams and Texas and Oklahoma in 2024? My guess is they'll time that up and Texas and Oklahoma will leave in 2024 as well. Um, So from that perspective, it kind of leaves you leaves the PAC 12 out in limbo. Like the big 10 has kind of made their moves. The SEC has made their moves and the big 12 has really kind of made their moves to, you know, replace the best that they could Texas and Oklahoma. And so the, the spotlight really is on the PAC 12 right now. Like how, how is the PAC 12 going to change? How are they going to address the loss of the number three television market, media market in the LA schools being USC and UCLA? And I think there's a lot of thoughts on that. Um, the other thing that we should touch on that we, we kind of teased in the last episode was how Notre Dame is kind of the, the key domino that needs to fall. And Early on, it felt like Notre Dame maybe was going to make a pretty quick decision and and make a move and and move on from their history as being an independent school. Uh, That has not happened. And so just to quickly summarize the thoughts there, if the Big Ten wants Notre Dame, really any of these conferences would want Notre Dame. That's a big, huge fan base, big school you know, a lot of dollars. This is to remind everybody, this is about money. This is about TV deals, ratings, and money. And Notre Dame brings a lot of that to whatever conference that they may or may not potentially be a part of. And so the thought was the Big Ten will eventually want to add some more West Coast teams for scheduling and travel purposes for USC and UCLA. They were waiting to see if Notre Dame would join the big 10, which would then obviously bring in a lot more revenue to work with, in which case they might bring a couple or a few, maybe even a handful of schools from the PAC 12, namely being UW, Oregon and Stanford. I don't really see them picking much more beyond that. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's kind of the waiting game. A lot of that conversation has seemed to have just fallen by the wayside. And Notre Dame's, what complicates it on Notre Dame's side is they're tied in with the ACC for uh, next eight years or something like that. And so there would be a lot of financial penalty deemed upon Notre Dame to break that, to breach that contract and make a move. So there's not a lot happening on from a UW fans perspective. There's not a lot happening that would indicate any imminent moves to the big 10. Um, right. So if you were in the boat of wanting to ride the coattails of USC and UCLA to the big 10 as a Husky fan or a duck fan, that seems, that seems to be petering out a little bit. Um, at least in the interim yeah at least now I'm not saying that that's not going to happen but it, it's pretty clear at this point it's not going to be a quick thing right and that we're going to be playing this season with still some of that long-term uncertainty um mm-hmm. which kind of brings us to the point that we'll talk about a bit more on this podcast which is okay if the pac-12 isn't going to fragment in the sense that uw oregon and maybe stanford go to the big 10 
the Pac-12 and George Klyovkov aren't going to just stand pat. They're going to try to do something. And based on what we're hearing right now, what do you, what are you picking up on, Connor? What do you think is the most likely outcome at this point? Most likely is a really tough question right now, just because yeah, there's it's... so much smoking on on a lot of different fronts. Um, I mean, probably the most likely thing that's going to happen right now is that everything kind of stands pat. Um, I think yeah. everyone else is just waiting for the next domino to fall. And it'll be like, once the dominoes, I mean, the dominoes have started falling, but like, there's still big fish on the table that need to be gobbled up before really the rest of these schools need to make the moves. Right. In any scenario, I can't picture that UW, Oregon, and you know, a couple more of the Pac-12 schools probably won't get a seat at the table, you know, in this super conference type college football that we're kind of headed towards. Um, that may be like that, that world may be, you know, eight to 10 years down the road in the future, though. It may not be quite as soon as people are predicting. So likely, I think the Pac-12 is just going to kind of stand pat. So long as UW and Oregon are on board, yeah. the Pac-12 can survive. It's still, I mean, it's still it's not gonna be a good. shell of itself. <laughs> yeah, without without the L- LA money, and I mean, they're gonna they're gonna replace those schools with probably San Diego State, and then another entity, whether it's Fresno State, Boise, or State. I've heard like I've heard like Boise State or SMU. I've heard like yeah. a few different schools. And that thought, um, I don't think that really does much um, for for the conference. It, San Diego market's not bad, but it's not L.A., <laughs> obviously. Boise State's had their run of success, but it's not L.A. Yeah, as far Boise. as uh, m- money generators. Small stadium. Um, yep. So the Pac-12 is kind of in a tough spot right now, but they don't really have any choice but to try to, like, pin their ears back and try to make it through this. Um, And right now, right now it's just, it's a staring contest between the PAC 12 and the big 12, you know, they're, they're kind of going back and forth and some, some media outlets are saying that there's going to be some kind of future agreement and merger between the PAC 12 and big 12, while others are saying that one of the conferences is going to survive and it's going to be kind of a battle of the, like fittest type thing survival of the fittest type thing um and who has the best leverage who has the best financial situation going forward is going to win um there's an argument for both for sure but given the pac-12 footprint and also the that we talk a lot of shit about espn but that night window that the Pac-12 has yeah. with ESPN, no one else can reasonably have that in the country other right. than a Pac-12 school, or at least a school on the West Coast, which primarily is going to be Pac-12 at this point. Um, so I think that does hold some value here, especially if ESPN is a part of the no- negotiations going forward, which they obviously will be because they're one of the two major media entities that are yep. negotiating these deals. So. It, 
I think the Pac-12 is probably in a little bit of a stronger position than the Big 12 going forward, but it's not by a lot. And it there's an argument for both, for sure. I don't know how you see it, Sam. That's just kind of yeah. where I'm at with things. I'm also biased, I think, but I just think that the, the presence of UW, Oregon, even Stanford, Utah, like Arizona... Arizona is coming Phoenix up is to Utah. Like the, those are schools that, you know, realistically can be top 10 schools at some point. And yeah. I just think there's only maybe two of those in the big 12 right now. Yeah. So here's where I'm at. Hypothetically, if everything was held constant and in a vacuum, I agree with what you're saying. The Pac-12 from a historical program perspective in terms of on-the-field success, obviously academic success, we're on another level than the Big 12. And a media market success, though. And media market. You have the Northwest in Seattle. You have Salt Lake City, which is a growing market. You have Phoenix, which is a... a, It's been growing for a while, and now it's a big market. You have Bay Area. So and then if pers- you get San Diego state, then you kind of have, you know, you have San Diego and like South LA. basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like and so it's kind I, of an extension of LA. But sure. Yeah. Keep going. And then I think you could even, you know, a stretch, you could go to like the Nevada school, UNLV or Nevada. Yeah. You get yeah. Vegas market. So from that perspective, I agree with you, but unfortunately in the reality of it, I think ESPN has their greedy, greasy fingers all over this thing which is really puts the Pac-12 behind the eight ball, in my opinion. So George Klyovkov and the Pac-12, as a response to this, it kind of reopened their TV deal negotiation earlier than anticipated, particularly with ESPN. And the reports are that ESPN just completely lowballed the Pac-12, where it was like the numbers I saw were like $25 million on average per year per school, which is basically cut in half for mm-hmm. UW and Oregon at more than half. And like, that's just not going to fly. And so obviously that was a no deal. And so what that leaves the PAC 12 with is like, okay, if we can't strike a deal with ES, it just puts the PAC 12 in a desperate spot. And yeah. so the two outcomes that I see is one that you mentioned is if the Pac-12 picks up Fresno State, San Diego State, Utah State, or UNLV or something like that, like it, it might stay together for a couple of years, but yeah, UW and Oregon aren't, hey, like that's just, you're putting a, a Band-Aid on a, sure. on a wound that's going to burst and start gushing UW and Oregon are not hanging out on that deal that ESPN offered. There's just no way. Mm -hmm. And so from that, knowing that I think really the only long-term path at this point that's on the table is merging with the big 12 and trying to create this super conference between the third super conference. Yeah. And going that way. Which, again, I think obviously has its own flaws and issues. But unfortunately, I think like with the way that that 
initial negotiation and offering from ESPN was was kind of just a total lowball and as a, a non-starter for the Pac-12. So it's like while we in theory have all this leverage in terms of prestigious universities on the field, off the field, media markets, ESPN, as we're seeing how all of these play all of these moves have been made by Fox or ESPN, if you're in Bristol, Connecticut, ESPN headquarters, what's more advantageous for you? Having the Pac-12 and the Big 12 separate or together? Probably together. And so I think ESPN is basically lowballing the Pac-12 at this point to try to bring those conferences together. Yeah. And then it basically, to your point, becomes a staring match or a pissing contest between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 on revenue sharing, you know, who gets what, which schools get this, which schools get that. And if it's if it's even or if it's, you know, like a prorated. Yeah. Oh, you're a new big. Like you're, yeah. Like. What's going to be the name of the conference? Is it the Big 12? And then does that mean the Pac-12 schools are, quote unquote, new to the conference and need to take like a prorated mm-hmm. revenue sharing deal where we get paid less for five years or two years until yep. we get even like that's the stuff that's just going to be a pain in the ass to figure out. But mm-hmm. unless the big domino falls being Notre Dame and the big 10 taking right. UW and Oregon, if that doesn't happen, I think this is the only way forward. And even then, even then I think UW and Oregon are too, or what's the word? They're too good of, products basically from the tv perspective to not have them in the big 10 or the sec and so i i just feel i still feel in my heart of hearts that it's just a matter of time before uw and oregon become part of the big 10 or the sec and likely yeah it's just a better fit to the big 10 so that's kind of where my head's right like i agree with you in theory but i think with the way that espn's reacting to all this stuff they're kind of jacking the pac-12 around and putting us at a bit of a disadvantage where there really shouldn't be one in relation to the yeah you're probably you're probably right um the one thing that i'm just scared of is that we get locked into a deal with like the big 12 and don't give ourselves the flexibility that if notre dame does make decision like a year down the road that we suddenly don't have the option of joining the big 10 at that point or something like that. Right. Um, is, is the thing that I'm scared of. So like in that instance, I'm almost tempted to say that I would rather just be on the top side of the pac 12 quote unquote pac 12 for the next couple of years. And then when the opportunity presents itself, we can move into one of these super conferences um, at that point, yeah. once once things are a little bit, the dust is settled a little bit more, and I mean, it, it's a matter of time before Notre Dame makes a decision. They they just have they have all the leverage right now, though. I mean, they're they're the big entity that everyone wants right now. It makes the most sense for them to go to the Big Ten, but I think they're just they're they're playing their cards tight and they're they're waiting it out because they can. Yeah, and they're um, they're they have like 
their exclusive TV deal with NBC right now, which I think is right. in today's terms, it's not the best deal. I think it's like $35, $40 million a year. But I mm-hmm. know that their contract is up in two to five years, I think. And so I, Sounds I right. bet they're having those conversations with NBC. Like, hey, if we stay independent, like, what does this contract look like for us? Right. Are we approaching $100 million a year? Because that's what the Big Ten is telling us. And, and that's obviously not shared money or anything. That's just right. going straight to Notre Dame. So that that's that's the leverage card that they can play, though, right? So yeah. But I think It'll, ultimately in their best interest, they're, they're going to end up wanting to to join one of these super conferences, which is for sure where we're heading. Like, yeah, there's no doubt about that. It's just win. Like bringing us up a few, bringing us up out of the weeds for a minute when we're talking about super conferences, this is, is, I've been thinking about it a lot and I'm just curious to get your thoughts on like, is two super conference. I think that's the, the predominant conversation, two super conferences being the big 10 and the sec and kind of picking the best from, you know, the big 12 PAC 12 ACC best 40 or 50 schools. I just, in the nation, I just don't basically. know that. I feel like, do, I guess I'll just ask you the question and then I'll provide my thoughts. Do you think two super conferences is enough? Like, I think there's room for a third. I mean, unless... it, depends. it depends how big those conferences are, but if I, if they're talking they're each one's going to be 20 to 25 teams. Yeah. I think that is enough. But that's also that's, then having the assumption that the bottom dwellers of those Big Ten and SEC are kicked out. So like the Vanderbilts sure. of the SEC, right. the Maryland's and Rutgers are kicked. So like that's where my head is at. I don't. I don't obviously don't understand this conference realignment and conference contracts well enough to understand like can you just kick a school out? Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess if the TV deals, I would assume, I would assume. Yeah. I would assume once the team, once the TV media like entities get involved, they can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. I mean, Fox is like, Hey, listen, big 10. They want the best product on the field. I know the New York market, the media markets, number one in the country tops in the world. But Rutgers fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and they're gonna get they're gonna get New York from like I, all all of New York is transplants, right? As yeah. far as like the, there's rooting allegiances everywhere in the country I, that live in New York. Yeah, I'd imagine a lot of the rooting interest in New York is Big Ten, Midwest, Big Ten, yeah, Great Lakes area schools. Yeah, for sure. Um, they have a wazoo bar there, though. I've, yeah. I've seen them. So. There you go. I don't know about Sorry. wazoo, though. Yeah. I don't know if well, they're going to be invited to the dance. <laughs> my father in law went to he went to go see Apple Cup this last year, unfortunately, um, in New York. And he went to I think he went to the Husky Bar in the first half and then the wazoo bar oh, in the second cool. half. And he said it was like, it was, it was fun, but it was definitely like a tale of two, <laughs> two bars just oh, because the game it. was so lopsided. Um, but that it was fun nonetheless. And he, he wants to do it again, I think. So I think he wants to do it for UW and Oregon this time because I think there's, a, oh, there's an Oregon bar too. So that would be intense. I'll tell him to be, be careful though. Those yeah. duck, duck fans can't, are a little, uh, you gotta watch trust, those guys. Can't trust a duck. Um, 
But yeah, so that's that's where my thought is is like I think it could be two super conferences, like we teased, you know, we should just rename it the Fox Conference and the ESPN conference being yeah. the Big Ten and the SEC respectively. But unless they're gonna cut and trim the fat from those conferences as they're currently sitting, like there definitely is room if these other conferences being the Big 12, the ACC, and the Pac 12 work quickly like there's a formidable conference that you could put together there with yeah clemson unc oklahoma state baylor utah yeah like if you could pull those three together um i think that is the only way that you could pull together a competitive conference otherwise if you're just looking at pac-12 big 12 that still isn't moving the needle for me like you're gonna get no, left behind. No, it's definitely not. Yeah, and I think it, yeah, it, you either got to do the scenario that you just described, or kind of wait it out. I think at this point, if you're UW, yeah. Um, and uh, George Klyovkov, like he's, I think he's a good commissioner, and I think he's been dealt a really, really bad hand because Larry Scott's awful. Yeah. Um, at basically life, so this is the position that we're in as a conference and he's trying to help it survive, but it just, it might be too late. You know, that, that fire might be too, too much in bloom right now to put out. Yeah. It's unfortunate because I, I mean, he, how long has Klyovkov been here? Not even a full year, maybe a year. year? Yeah. Yeah. It was basically a year on the date that USC, (laughs) UCLA decided they were going to the big 10. That that was, that was like, the one year anniversary of him. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I heard he was on like his first vacation in a year. He was like out in the mountains in Montana when it all went yeah. down. It's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> um, Back but to yeah, Vegas. I mean, the conference realignment, I guess to sum it up, like there's still just a ton of uncertainty. I yep. think, you know, there's a lot of ways that this could play out. The big 10 doors, you know, being rumored to be shut, but if the Notre Dame domino falls, who knows what happens? I think yep. with these conversations going on with ESPN and the Big 12, something could happen there. When does the ACC get more involved? I don't know. Um, so there's a lot to it sort out. It just makes more sense for the ACC and the SEC to do something together, I think. But I mean, you just never know. So, yeah. D- I mean, just geographically purely geographically yeah but, for yeah. sure and so it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out i think if i have any parting words of you know to try to reduce your anxiety as a husky fan uw is not going to get left out of this they're yeah it's it might not happen tomorrow it might not happen next week or even in this year but uw is going to be part of the dance one way or the other it's just it's too big of a media market, too big of a traditional powerhouse in football, too good of a research and academic institution to not be involved. So gotta be patient, let it sort itself out. And I think in the end, Husky fans will be happy that we're involved in primetime college football and however that might exist in the future. So um I think that pretty much rounds out our thoughts on realignment. I know we'll keep tabs on it when Justin gets back. We want to get his thoughts on it. But 
Damn, I'm excited to talk about some Mariners. I don't know if you guys plugged into the Home Run Derby All-Star Weekend. Julio put on a show. Uh, so I'm excited to talk some Mariners. How about you? Samuel, the last time that we really talked Mariners on this podcast, this team was hurting. They were on the brink. I know. And they weren't even at their low point yet. I told you guys that they needed to start turning it around basically now <laughs> at that point. That was a little over a month ago. I didn't know you Six had Julio. The... I didn't know you had Julio on speed dial. Hey guys, you need to get your shit together. But don't you worry, because I got I got Julio on speed dial. I I told him, you know what? The city really needs this right now. The Seahawks are gonna suck this year. Give us something to root for in September and October. He said, no problem, man. <laughs> we good. No problem, man. We good. Yeah, we good, man. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I did not I did not foresee anything in the realm of what they have pulled off over the last month. They were 10 games under 500 at 29 and 39. Jeez. A mere four weeks ago. And in four weeks, they have turned that around to 51 and 42, including 14 straight wins going into the All-Star break. As we sit here the night of January or July, well, not January, July 21st. Yeah. Going into a massive series against the Astros, might I yeah. add. Yeah. And we'll talk about kind of what's to come here and next steps. But let's just talk and appreciate about the run that these guys have gone on what like this is this is the most that you have definitely been into a Mariners team in a long time Sam so I really want to get your thoughts here on on just kind of what you've observed over the past you know month and what this compares to kind of in your lifetime of Mariners fandom that like we haven't really had a lot of high moments in and no Literally the only two years that I can think of anything close to this is 95 and 2001. So like, where does this rank in comparison to that? Obviously it's not over yet, but like just this run is pretty unprecedented. And we're talking about the second longest winning streak at this point in, in Mariners franchise history at 14 games, have a chance to break it this weekend. If, if they can keep it rolling, it's 15 is the, where are you at with this? What's that? 15 is the record. One game away. 15 is the record. One game away. Yep. Yeah. I so, mean, and that was that was by a pretty good team in two thousand. Yeah, they were so. they were all right. One hundred sixteen <laughs> wins. Um. Yeah. I. This is the. I'm hesitant to say this, but I think this is the most excited I've been about the Mariners in my life right now. Where's your I fun mean, differential right now? My fun differential is through the roof. This team is so fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, obviously, growing up in the 90s, like Griffey was God and will always be my favorite sports athlete of all time. I think Mm -hmm. everyone, if they're lucky enough to have a talent like that in their hometown teams, regardless of the sport, there's just a level of sentiment and nostalgia attached to that that just honestly probably will never be touched again, even if Julio carries this on and becomes as good as Griffey potentially like there's just a difference when you're a kid versus an adult that I don't think will ever be touched on. So I'm, I think 
we're similar in that way. So super biased, but this is the most closely I've followed a baseball team in 20 years easily. And I, I honestly have been following this team more closely than I did the 2001 team. And I was a huge fan. Then I went to the all-star game. It was a blast, but I was still nine. And like, yeah, at the end of the day, and I'm going to put in my plug and I've done this to some family members and they've loved that. I've kind of got this, got them on this kick. I, I have a passion for getting people back into being fans of the hometown team. And I'll be honest, sitting down and watching a three, four hour baseball game is, is terrible. And root sports fucking sucks. And I hate them. Take some advice from me, wake up in the morning, pour yourself a cup of coffee, go to YouTube, go to the Seattle Mariners, the MLB channel and watch the seven to 10 minute highlight of the game from the day before you get, not only do you get all the, obviously the scoring plays, but they give you insight into strikeouts from pitchers. They really do a great job of recapping the game. And so if you don't have access or you don't have the time to sit down and watch this team play an entire game, just do yourself the favor of with your morning coffee, watch the YouTube highlights from the game before it is a blast. And then obviously if you're, if you're in Seattle, just go watch a game. Julio is worth the price of admission and a $15 beer times three. It is worth (laughs) every penny. So that's my homework and my pledge, you know, just watch the YouTube highlights and this team will draw you in. I promise. It's so fun to watch them. It, and I think the, the piece that I want to talk about and get your thoughts on that really was the catalyst for this turnaround was that brawl against uh, yep. the angels. And you look at yeah. it since then, what are we like 13 and two and they're four and 17 and two right now. Yeah. 17 and two since, since that right. happened. And like, it's just such a, a close team that has fun. They do their victory dances. The infield has their little like toe tapping circle dance. The outfield has yep. their dance. Like they're just really enjoying playing for each other. And it's been super fun to watch. Julio Rodriguez is, I think it's fair to say, it's more than fair to say that he's going to be the face of the franchise. I'm on the, I'm on, I'm at the point where he's, potentially the face of the MLB. Like yeah, he's, he's, up he's there. on that trajectory right now, let alone his home run derby performance this yep, past week. That really put him on the map. Put him as a household name. I mean, setting the record for the most home runs in the derby of all time, 81, 82, something like that. Um, it's just been a blast. So I think I, I'm super excited. I definitely am drinking the Kool-Aid. And it tastes mighty <laughs> damn fine. And I I hope that you all start drinking it too because it's really good time. For I hope sure. I did that hey. justice. <laughs> no, you didn't, man. I mean, I can tell you're excited. It's the most you have talked like a single like win length. Like, yeah. Like that's the most that you've talked about the Mariners since the podcast started. So yeah. That's Shit. It, which isn't we're i mean we're what since two years old at this since point, the but... blog started how about that 
Yeah. I don't think okay. I wrote a single well, now Mariners we're blog. No, you definitely. We only had about three or four up there, probably. But no, you that's definitely what, that's didn't. coming up on ten years almost. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What I did want to add to your whole YouTube co- comment about watching highlights, though. Before you do that, if you really want to buy into this team, MLB just posted an eight-minute YouTube video on the 14-game win streak for the Mariners. And if you want to buy into this team now, watch that. Yeah. Watch that. It will get you fired up for the rest of the season. It is exactly the juice that you're... I'm going to watch it again after this and then not sleep, probably. So, yeah. Um that's where I'm at. And I think so what that, Julio I Rod- think what, I think what yeah, that video does, that's really cool. Just adding a little bit more context to the streak that we're on. We mm-hmm. we're, I mean, we've, we've won games handedly, but like a lot of the games in this streak have been clutch, been close. Yep. clutch games where we've taken the lead in the seventh, eighth, sometimes even the ninth inning, our bullpen comes in and just shuts the other team down. And it is like, it feels to me how that 2016 Husky football team felt where it was like when the game got close, gets towards the end of the game, the Mariners just always seem to be finding a way to win. Mm -hmm. Like, which is just so exciting to be watching that. I mean, it obviously helps to where you were probably heading. It helps to have somebody like Julio on the team. My Lord. And hold on. Before you even start, I know you're going to be humble and all that (laughs) bullshit, but you called this Julio stuff way before anybody else that I know. And like, I don't know a ton of MLB heavy guys. There's a couple people out there that I know that are into it. But like, you were trying to drag Justin and I to Everett Aqua Sox games the last two years to go watch Julio Rodriguez. You've been on the Julio train for multiple years so i just want to tip my cap to you that you got this shit right way before most people like i'm on the julio bandwagon early bandwagon you were you are a julio day oneer, and you should wear that you should print a t-shirt and wear it (laughs) i appreciate it i appreciate it um i i can't say i've been the only one though like there there were a lot of people that were high on julio as soon as we signed him um, to his international international yeah. deal so um he's 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 always been a very talented player and a highly sought after player coming up through through the ranks so i i can't i can't say that i've been the only one or anything like that but yes i i was drinking the julio kool-aid pretty early um yeah it was, it was fun to watch him and ever man it was kind of cool and even more cool now just like obviously oh, seeing him yeah. on the grandest stage of all on at the all-star game and What's so cool about this this whole story? What okay, f- let me first off say what sucks is that Julio's pro- like progression to the MLB probably got delayed by a year because of COVID, maybe two. Like he would have been up, yeah, for sure in 2021 if COVID had not happened, like that shortened season where he yeah. basically lost a season because they didn't play at all. He may have even been up in 2020, like by the end of the year. Yeah, possibly. It would not have shocked me at all. Because in 2019, I think he was even, he was in low A, I think in 2019. He probably would have started in Everett, I bet, in 2020, which is where he started last year in 2021. 
And I bet by the end of the year, he would have been touching triple A and yeah. could have been a September call up possibly. Yeah. And then for sure in 2021, he would have been basically in the same, same stances where Kelnick was at when he would have been like a June call up at the latest. They yeah. would have played his service time bullshit probably or something, but I mean, he, he would have been up in 2021. So it sucks that we haven't seen this until now, you know, it sucks that he hasn't been exposed to the MLB and us fans haven't been exposed to Julio until now. That being said, Seattle fans know the name Julio Rodriguez, unless, <laughs> unless they're living under a rock at this point, yeah. they know the name Julio Rodriguez and they're going to know the name Julio Rodriguez for a long time to come. Jerry, Jerry DePoto said on the Mike, Mike Salk show this morning that Julio is like the one player in the organization that is off limits. And he said yeah. it like point Blake, basically that he's off limits. He's going to be a Mariner for as long as Julio can be a Mariner. So yeah. they're planning on signing him and locking him up to a long-term deal. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when Yeah, um, he's a loyal guy to Julio is. And that's one of the greatest parts about him is he's a humble and, and, and I mean, he's, He's cocky in his own way, but he's cool cocky and he's, he, yeah. he's humble and he's, he, he's got a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. Um, I don't remember where I was going with this, but Julio's, Julio's going to be a Mariner best. for a long time. <laughs> Julio's going to be a Mariner for a long time. Yeah. Oh, what I was saying though, is people in Seattle know the name Julio Rodriguez, but now the people after that showing at the, the home run derby. Yeah. People around the country know the name Julio Rodriguez now. And yeah, you're going to see a lot of fans in Texas, New York, yes. Florida, Michigan that are big Julio Rodriguez fans. A lot of kids, yeah. right? Because oh, yeah. this guy, this guy gets it. Not only is he just a superstar as far as just talent level, playing level, but his personality, the way he, you know, vibes about himself, like just. Yeah the way he carries himself out there, how he interacts with the media, how he interacts with the fans, all are A++. Yeah. And how he interacts with other players. How he, And other players love him. Yeah. And he's 21. And he's like, you saw Liam Hendricks in the All-Star game yeah. <laughs> yelling at Julio when he caught the ball, not to throw the ball into the stands because he wanted to keep it. And he, Julio! Julio! <laughs> And, and Julio's playing with him and pretending to throw it. And he's it. playing with him and he's smiling. It, it, it just, I don't know. It, I guess this kind of leads to like our next conversation here. And we've gotten a little ahead of ourselves because we've already jumped to the Julio hype train and we'll get back to the Mariners. But that's and, what and it their is. Win streak. Like, the Mariners it, are Julio at this point. I don't know if I agree with that right now. Like, it, look, look. Julio for sure is a leader on this team and he has yeah. carried this team for the most part. Yeah. But what's been the best part about this 14 game win streak. We'll get back to Julio, I guess. Now I'm going to yes. take the pivot to this. <laughs> uh, what the best part of this 14 game win streak is it's been a team effort. It's been everything like everything's been clicking. Yeah. The start, the start, it starts with the starting pitching. The starting pitching has been nails for the better, I mean, over a month now. Robbie yeah. Ray has gotten back to his Cy Young self. Yeah. Logan Gilbert's still kind of shoving it, but he's he's honestly dropped off a little bit, but just a little he's still, bit. He's, he's, really he's still good. fine. He's still plenty good. He's still plenty yeah. good. Um, 
Flexen's been solid, really solid. Yeah. Marco Marco's been at his best for the most part. He's he had a little bit of a hiccup, I think, in his last outing. Yeah. Um, and then Kirby was doing pretty well too. And then they're they obviously kind of sent him down to manage some of his innings. And right. I think they had Tommy Malone in the bullpen kind of kind of rolling in, in that game. They ended up winning that game too. So yeah. Um starting so the pitching starting has pitching, been great. And and the bullpen's been great. Obviously, bullpen like, has been bullpen's top prob- three. Yeah, bullpen's probably been even better. And they have a team ERA right now in the top five, and that's including the whole year. In the past month, they're probably top two or three in the MLB. I yeah, bet. yeah. Um, so that's where it all starts because they've obviously given this team a chance. The offense has like been inconsistent basically all year. It's been better. It's definitely woken up. Yeah, you see, you see, obviously, Julio's caught fire basically since May. Um, yeah. Winker's starting to catch fire over the last month. Carlos Santana has been a really sneaky good signing. That was a very good signing. Uh, right, right when Ty France goes down, who who might, might we add is back and was an all star. Thank yeah. God, because he Kinda deserved good. it. Um, very good hitter in 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 and of itself, and a good player. But Carlos Santana really, like, filled in that lineup That's really a... well. Like, it just per- professional at bats is what you need, like, at that position. And he fulfilled that and more and had, what, basically three game-winning home runs slash hits over that 14-game winning winning streak that we've had, yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. So, it's, it's unbelievable. Cal Raleigh looks like a legitimate major league catcher above average, like if not even good, he's gone from like a bad catcher to a legitimately good catcher as far as offensively, like defensively he's always been pretty good, but offensively he's double digit homers now, but Mm -hmm. going back to Carlos Santana, the other thing there too, is he's, he's a vet. He's been around for a long time. And I think what he brings to the clubhouse I think he's a Dominican guy and that's an older guy that Julio can really relate to. They obviously know each other from the Mm -hmm. DR. Um, But I think that addition really also the timing of that and our win streak, I don't think is a coincidence. I think you bring in someone like that, that can really kind of be someone that Julio can work with from a leadership perspective. And I think as we talk about it, like it's kind of crazy to think that Julio is the heart and soul of this team already as a 21 year old, which, which he is. Um, And I think having somebody to look up to that you can relate to in a leadership capacity, likes like Carlos Santana and, and, you know, I don't want to knock what he's been doing on the field because he's been, he's been amazing in terms of being he's single-handedly won, like you mentioned, he's single-handedly won a couple of games for us during this streak. But I think that addition has a lot of intangible benefit in the clubhouse as well. And in particular with your rising superstar and Julio Rodriguez. So Mm -hmm. I think that you couldn't have said it any better in terms of that sneaky signing, really, really good signing by DePoto. And then just carrying on what you were talking about in terms of, you know, it is easy and 
I fall, I fall into the trap all the time of like Julio's the flash of this team. But I think, you know, I'm looking at our notes here. You talk about a couple of these games have been won by the bottom of the lineup with some of these bats. I mean, you mentioned starting pitching, bullpen pitching, super important, but like we've won a handful of these games from runs scored or plays being made on the base paths by Dylan Moore or Sam Haggerty. Like you're seeing the bottom of this lineup produce runs at key points in ball games. And that's just, that is the telltale sign of a good team is when the bottom yep. of your lineup can get across home plate. And we've seen that coming through in spades recently. Um, and it's interesting. Like I think about this outfield and I'm kind of, I guess, merging two topics into one is, you know, the emergence of somebody like Sam Haggerty has been, he's been a weapon, man. I mean, when he gets on the base, yeah, pass, his speed is amazing. That in the park home run was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on the base pass, he's just as good a threat stealing as Julio is. He's exactly who you want as a utility player. Exactly who you want as a utility player. I, I, I think he's awesome. And I hope that he keeps this pace up and continues to be a part of this team. But the, the other topic that I'm going to merge into this is injuries. Like we're doing all of this in spite of some major injuries. You don't particularly and suspensions for most of that. Time. Winker was out for 10 games, right? Or eight? Six six games for Winker, followed by no, so it was four for Crawford to start with. Yep. That was the Toronto series. No. Is that right? I think so. I think it's the, I think that was the Blue Jays series. Yeah. And then it was Winker all that next week for six games. And then Julio. And then it was Julio. For one, maybe it was Winker. Maybe it was Winker first. I can't remember. But Julio, uh, I know, I know, Winker was like for a whole week, basically, it was six games. Yeah. And then uh, Crawford was four, and then Julio was one. So it was basically like a day off for Julio, but it still was bullshit that he got suspended. Yeah. Anyway, but my my point there is like you've got the you've got somebody like Sam Haggerty who's been a really, I mean, you could not have expected anything more from this guy coming in, filling yep. in. And the broader point here is for the last three, four years, the best player on the Mariners roster has been Mitch Haniger. He's been out. You know, AL rookie of the year in 2020, Kyle Lewis out. Mm-hmm. So it's like this outfield outside that, that right field position has been a rotating of guys. And we've still been able to go on this run of success. And so you've seen like somebody like Taylor Trammell has had a hand in this run as well. Sam Haggerty has come on super hot late. Dylan Moore has been out there. And so it's like, one, I think it's important to appreciate the success we're having with some of those key injuries. But I think the question that I'm curious to get your thoughts on is as Haniger works his way back as Kyle Lewis works his way back as Ty France is now back and healthy. Like how do you mm-hmm. see this roster rounding? Like what do you see our strongest roster turning out to be? And it seems like there could potentially be a log jam in the outfield and that first base designated hitter position. 
before I get into that, I need to mention because I was an idiot and forgot to that the Mariners are a wild card team right now. If 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 the yes. season ended today, they would be in in the playoffs, which they're on would pace end for a hundred wins. I don't think that's true. I don't know how you did your math on that. You because I actually winning... the winning percentage and then multiply it by one sixty two. Uh, yeah, I had my eighty-eight. Ma- my wins. math, my math is wrong. Forget about okay. that. I had eighty-eight wins, but they like that's including when they were ten games under five hundred. They're obviously not going to play at fourteen right. for the full season straight for the full season. Or, and but I, I think I think it's 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 pretty realistic that they're they're on pace, you know, for for ninety to ninety-five wins, pretty realistically. I would say. Appreciate the correction. Yeah. No, it's it's fine. I just I I wanted to make sure that we didn't get too far ahead of ourselves. I was we could doing, win 100 games. We I was could, doing a little but... uh, Julio whiskey math. Yeah. <laughs> hey, get a little excited. That's the best kind of math. That's the best kind of math, though. Always if we win 100 out. games, I'll be I'll be all for it. So uh, back to your question, though. Um, it's a good problem to have, first and foremost. Um, yeah. The thing that you want, especially going into the second half of the year and going into the playoffs, is roster flexibility yeah. and and lineup flexibility. So you're going to look at the guys that can maybe fill in a few spots for you, and th- that's going to be kind of the difference between some of these guys staying on the roster or not staying on the roster. You're probably looking at the first guy to go is going to be Toro. I think that's pretty obvious at this point at least in my mind, I think <laughs> you can pretty much check mark that one up. Uh, Kyle Lewis is supposed to be back in the lineup tonight as people are, are listening to this. If you're listening to this on Friday, the 22nd um, against the Astros, at least he's supposed to be back on the roster. I guess Tipoto didn't clarify he'd actually, if he'd actually be in the lineup, but in theory, if he's back on the roster, chances are they're going to try to at least work him into the lineup right. as a DH. Um, he's mostly going to DH though, right? So yeah. What what gets tricky here is first base, second base, I think, and Ty France with Carlos Santana, and you got Adam Frazier who started to swing a little bit of a better bat as of late. Um, Ty France has played second in the past. I don't really want him to play second. Um, I'd rather him be yeah. at, at first. That leaves car- probably Carlos Santana, you know, he's probably going to platoon with Kyle Lewis basically at DH. And then every once in a while, you might get Kyle Lewis out in the outfield. I think the reason why he was out for so long with his concussion and rehabbing from his concussion was to get his knee a little bit healthier again. Yeah, and in and case you can't see, if he can... Connor had some pretty significant air quotes. A lot of air quotes going on. <laughs> on the concussion uh, front. He did not have a concussion for a month and a half. I can verify that. Uh, so I think a lot of this was to uh, a lot of this delay in his return and in his rehab was to get his knee healthier again. And it's, it's a knee injury. That's just, it's, it's going to be, it's a degenerate knee basically. And it's, it's going to be something that he's going to have to manage throughout his entire career. And the manners are going to have to manage while they have him. But if they are managing it correctly, he can still, 
play a little bit of outfield for you, a little bit of left, a little bit of right. He's not going to play center anymore for you. No. Obviously, you have a center fielder in Julio Rodriguez, um, and that's who you want out there. So, um, but yeah. it's 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 a good problem to have all this stuff, you know. Like it, you you want these kinds of problems because there's no doubt going to be another injury or suspension or something's going right. to happen, right? Where you're going to need someone else to come up. Um, and it's good to have all these guys in the organization. Yeah. I will add on the Kyle Lewis knee situation. One of the realizations I had maybe, I think it was just a couple days ago. I saw he hit a home run with Tacoma. He's with Tacoma right now. Yeah. 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 He was with Everett and then he was with Tacoma. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I realized, and I remember even when he got called up briefly to the Mariners and he, I think he was on first and somebody hit a ball down the foul line or something. And he was rounding second, just looks like he, looked, he runs yeah. like a painful person. And yep. when he's running, it just looks wrong. And so I was like, yeah, really looking closely, like what is going on? And what I realized was his knee is in such bad shape that he, he does not touch the bags with his right knee. And so if you watch him round every base, he like he has you know, to kind of chatters his feet to, and yeah. then hits the bag with his left, which is like obviously if you're going for the most efficient way around the base pass, you wouldn't pivot on the bag and push off to your left with your left foot. You would use your right foot. And so like I when I kind of made that realization to myself, I was like, uh uh-oh. His knees in a bad either his knees in a really bad spot or he just mentally is jacked up from the litany of injuries he's had and it's like i'm not gonna risk it but like i i I haven't seen that before where like he's unwilling to touch the base with his right leg yeah so i i'm even i'm not optimistic that he'll ever be a consistent field player for us ever again. No, no. And what Which I'm talking is about is spotting in there. Yes. It, yeah, it really is. But what I'm talking about is like a spot outfield check whenever you want his bat in the lineup and Santana's bat in the lineup at DH. Yeah. Yep. And that's like probably your most, your, your most formidable lineup. So that's what you want, but you're going to have to manage the knee with Kyle Lewis. So right. For the most part, they're probably going to platoon DH, but every once in a while you'll see them both in the lineup. And you'll get Ty France an off day every once in a while, maybe two, or he'll DH and Carlos Santana will play first. Um, it'll it, You can play matchups, though, and that's what's so beautiful about having this depth. That is, it, that's that's what playoff teams have, is, is this kind of depth and these kind of problems. So uh, it's a good problem to have. And... and we should. Pr- do you want to? Do you want to get to like more Julio stuff? I mean, we have a lot more Julio stuff that we could talk about. We could talk about like obviously, kind of like what's to come here for for this team. Um, if there's anything that I'm missing as far as that we should cover on on what the team's accomplished thus far this year. Um, yeah, I think maybe the only other thing team-wise that I think we should cover before we go into the, our, our little Julio love fest here in a minute is <laughs> the fact that we're riding this win streak through the All-Star break 
we are going to find out what this team is made of in the next two weeks. We have some, yes. I mean, I don't have our schedule up in front of us, but I know that like 80% of our next two weeks is Houston Astros and New York Yankees. Two of the, they're the best. Check, can you check the, can you check the standings real quick? They're kind of good. <laughs> the Yankees are threatening the 116 wins in the season. They're within oh, yeah. well, they're within knocking distance, so they're 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 okay. Oh, they're they're the they're the two best teams in the MLB by yeah. by by their records. Oh. So I think if the Mariners could somehow find their way through oh, those two those well, it's really three series, right? One with Houston, two with New York. You have two with each, actually. Two with each. So if we can in the next twenty games. If we can figure out a way to get through that around 500 would be amazing yeah amazing that's i think realistically that's what you have to shoot for yeah we're gonna find out real quick if this team is is for real or not um you have and seattle's ready for this i mean if casey didn't hear tomorrow night or tonight if if you're listening to this on friday is a sellout against the astros saturday is likely to be a sellout against the astros that's a day game. Yeah. Sunday probably won't quite be a sellout, but it's going to be packed. Like there's going to be a yeah. lot of people there. So trust me, when this when this team shows out, the people show up. Like we saw it last September when this team yeah. went on a run at the end of the year. Seattle is so fucking ready for a good baseball team. Yes. They are so ready for it. And yeah. this is the perfect opportunity because the Seahawks are going to suck. Like Seahawks they're not, not going to be, be good. good. No, they maybe they won't suck, but they're not going to be good. They're not going to be making the playoffs this year. I think we can probably chalk that one up. I would bet a so, lot of money that we're not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, apparently Germany loves Drew Locke because you see those ticket prices in Munich. I think they just like football, American football. I think I think it might have to do with uh, the other team that we're playing, Tampa Bay, but. Tom Brady's kind of a big deal, I heard. Yeah. <laughs> Might want to get a chance to see him. Or Drew Locke. Or it's Drew Locke. I think it's mostly Drew Locke, to be honest. Maybe it's our second that's round my, draft that's my pick. Opinion. Kenneth Walker really pulling those it people into the too. seats. Yeah. It could be Rashad Penny. Yeah. Best running back the last five weeks. Come on. Got to see him. That's right. Anyways, right, I think your point is super valid. Like, there is a very little spoken vibe and feeling in Seattle that like, you know, the, the Sonics in the seventies and the nineties were a big deal. The Seahawks were a big deal recently through the 2010s, but like the city has never felt a way about their sports teams. Like they did in the nineties with the Mariners. Like that is 95. 97, like the Griffey, A-Rod, Randy Johnson, Edgar Mariners holds a place in this city's heart that no Mm -hmm. other team does. And the fact that we're relevant and good again, you have the superstar and Julio Rodriguez, like I refuse to call it T-Mobile Park. If Safeco Field 
is packed. Like it's going to be the it is going to be an exciting environment to play in this city. It's gonna be wants, a playoff atmosphere. Yeah. And we everybody hates the goddamn Astros. Yeah. And so, like yeah. to your point, I, I just think it's worth reiterating. Like this city is ready for the Mariners to be relevant again. And if we can continue on this train and make it through the next two to three weeks relatively unscathed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. holy shit. Watch out. Like this, Seattle's gonna become a baseball town quicker than you could even imagine. <laughs> Seattle fans are very fair weather. I will say that. And oh yeah. That's that's uh, you can't even really argue that, I don't think. But when they show out, they really show out. So um I'm excited. To, <laughs> I'm excited to see what what kind of energy is in the stadium this this weekend. Um it's it's it should be a fun atmosphere. Yeah. And if anything else, just show up to watch number 44. Julio's the man. It's fun to watch, man. Only reason why I went to the Aqua Sox last year. So <laughs> I wish I there are very few things I regret in my life, Connor. One of them was not <laughs> going to that Aqua Sox game with you and seeing Julio. You still went to a Mariners game and saw Julio. I mean, you've seen Julio. But I've seen seeing him, but Julio like, in the minors up and close is is pretty special. That was yeah. that was pretty cool. I, I've I've wanted to catch Noel V. Marte all summer, and I just haven't gotten out there. I've been too busy with house projects and getting ready for a baby. But um, <laughs> that that'll probably be my regret this time next year is not seeing Noel V. Marte. All right, maybe we well, can probably, switch. It'll probably be it'll probably be two years from now that I'll really regret it because then he'll for sure be on the club at that point. Yeah. But he has a chance probably by the end of next year to be be a big leaguer. We'll, well see. maybe we can switch be, places and, and I'll go see Everett, see Marte okay. and Everett. You should. Yeah, and you he, should. And then you he should go be... this weekend with Mitch Mitch Hanniger's on, on a rehab stint this weekend with Everett. Hmm. Might have to check that out. Yeah. So if you're not um, doing anything and you're in the Everett, Everett, if you can't make it out to T Mobile because the 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 games are sellouts against the Astros, next best ticket in town is Everett Aqua Sox. Go watch Mitch Hanniger in his rehab stint. Go watch Noelvi Marte. Really, really up and coming. Really, really good up and coming shortstop in the Mariners organization. Yeah. But let's let's get back to the Julio train. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm ready. i I'm drinking all the Julio Kool-Aid. I'm drinking it all. I'll tell you what. The number one reason why I'm drinking the Julio Kool-Aid, and this goes back to what I was talking about earlier around my nostalgic memories of Ken Griffey Jr. And he'll never be Ken Griffey Jr. to me. He won't. Yeah. But through 91 games to start their MLB career, kind of same, same. Kind of same, same. Granted, Griffey was 19. Very similar. Griffey was 19. Julio's 21. But their stats through their first what 91 games, right? Is that where we're at? Uh, yeah, he he Julio has played 91 games now. Yeah, through their first 91 games, Julio's looking pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Well, if you look at Griffey's full rookie season, which I think he ended up third in the AL Rookie of the Year voting that year. Um, again, he was night 19. Though I mean this, like, yeah, th- this is the part that I'm talking about with 
Julio, I think, was robbed at least of one year, if not two. Yeah. With with COVID. Probably one, one and a half. I mean, yeah. it, I think 2021 would have been for sure his rookie year. Yeah. He would have had enough games in 2021 for that to be his rookie year. And he would have been 20, not not 21. But anyway, it, it it's all in the past now. But you look at these stats, though, and they're astonishingly similar. So Griffey played 127 games in his rookie career, his rookie year. Um, he had a 264 batting average with 16 home runs, 61 RBIs. We'll start on those three just for yeah. just for stats here, just for simplification. Julio through 91 games is batting 275, and he's batting like 293 since May 1st. Yeah. So that first month of the year was. Not good. pretty much pure dog, sh- pretty much pure dog shit from him, but it wasn't all his fault. Like, I mean, the umps were had it out for him too. He was getting a lot of really big strike zones that and inconsistent <laughs> yeah. strike zones that really didn't help him adjust to the major league pitching. But he's Julio Rodriguez and he adjusted pretty quickly after that. He sure um, did. So, 275 bat- batting average, 16 home runs, 52 RBIs. So for sure, he's going to be eclipsing that 16 home run mark. He's already beating Griffey in batting average at this point. Yeah. And pretty good shot at eclipsing that RBI. He's only nine away at this point. Um, right. And he's he's for sure going to play more games this year, though. He's only missed two. Right. So that's the one caveat that you have to this. But like you were saying, Sam, like Griffey, Griffey is Griffey, right? And he's the kid. And... You really, there's no one that really can ever touch or replace him. But it, Julio is making it really, really hard not to compare the two as far as just the impact that they're having, not only from a talent level, but on the team Mm -hmm. success and the fan base, right? Yeah. And I would say, even if Julio doesn't end up being quite like the major leaguer that Griffey was, which Griffey's a top five player, maybe in MLB history. Yeah. Um, and he's probably not five for, he's probably maybe top three, but I mean, he's up there for sure. Yes. The thing that I think that impresses me the most about Julio, I'm not saying Griffey was a bad teammate. But I think Julio is just an exceptional teammate. And you can tell he his desire to win is above all else. Yes. So happy for the people having success around him, even mm-hmm. if he's not. And like I said, the way he engages with the media and the way he engages with the fan base are the things that really, I think, set julio apart from griffey as far as like his own he julio is going to carve his own path right he's yes. he's going to be there he's going to have his own legacy but that's what separates the two for me just because i think griffey was always a little bit cold shouldered towards towards the media like he he just it just wasn't his vibe and that's fine and yeah doesn't make him any less of a good player or anything like that but it was a different, he had a different personality as far as, as media stuff. You saw him smiling and having fun and, and the joy he had playing the, playing the game. Of the game. Yeah. And 
Julio definitely shares that with him, right? Like they both right. have a infectious smile about them. I mean, they're they're both kind of labeled as kids or whatever. They're, right. they're, they're trying to label Julio as like there's a new kid in town. I I, I don't like that. I I, I actually um more so though just because I want Julio to be his own player, you know, carve out his right. own legacy. And he should. I mean, he's that good. I think he, he's just going to be different than Griffey was in in a way. And their stats are eerily similar at this point mm-hmm. in their their careers. But um, I, I Julio could end up being, you know, a, a different kind of player, a, a more five tool player as far as like he might end up. Ha- I mean, he's got 21 stolen bases this year. Like he might yeah. end up being a little bit more, which Griffey was, a, he was fast too. He was a good base runner. I mean, the, the double scoring from first on that. Yeah. It's one of the most famous plays in Mariners history, but I think Julio probably has better speed than Griffey ever did right now. Probably. And so like you point to that, that part of his game, but like Griffey also hit, 650 home runs and he was hurt for <laughs> you know four years of his career 30 percent of his career yeah yeah i think um, i think what you're saying too and just articulating it a different way yeah and please because i'm rambling at this point no i think what you're saying is totally valid um i think there's an element of griffey having grown up in the game of baseball with his dad that like yeah none of this was abnormal to it was just an another day in the office to a certain degree when it came to media obligations and i think he you know growing up in the game of baseball when he did when his dad was an all-star for the reds like i think he would probably tell you that the media treated him and his dad a bit differently than where the media is in today's day and age you can read between the lines on that one as much as you want. But uh, mm-hmm. I think the story that's always told is, you know, the reason why he never would play for the Yankees is, is part of that. <laughs> if you haven't heard that story, yeah. you should definitely go and check it out. Um, yep. So I think there's an element of that where I think it was just normal for Griffey. Like there wasn't, um, Everything was so natural. Everything him, was just right? so, yeah, everything was so natural. It didn't seem like he had to try hard. It didn't seem like he ever expected anything else to come out of his life other than being like a MLB baseball player. And mm-hmm. I think in some way, and I'm trying to be very careful with my words because Griffey played like a beast and you see him tracking down some of those balls in center field, yeah. running into the, the wall, the way that he played at the plate, like it was very obvious that he was always trying to win, but there does seem to be like, maybe this isn't the best word, but like next level desperation competitiveness to Julio. We're like, I think you can point to what you're saying in terms of stolen bases. Like Griffey had the speed to steal whenever he wanted to steal. And, yeah. I, and maybe maybe we're earlier in his what, career for sure. Yeah. yeah, earlier in his career for sure when he was with the Mariners the first time around, and like maybe we're blurring the lines between coaching philosophies and and whatnot. But like, 
when Julio is playing, it is so obvious that he is doing everything in his possible being to win the game. And like yeah. there were times and and it's the the thing that made Griffey so great and the reason why he holds a special place in our hearts is like half the time Griffey didn't even have to try. Like you talk about being one of the best players in MLB history. We can talk about stats and all this and that. I don't know that anybody can argue in in you know 50 years one way or the other that there's been a more naturally gifted player than Griffey. Yeah. Yeah. And like when you go and watch Julio, the the most recent game I went to, I think we were playing the Orioles just before we started to hit this streak. And Robbie Ray, I think it was like his first or second game, like really hitting his Cy Young type stuff. And it was like a zero zero game down to the eighth inning. There's two outs left. And Julio hits kind of a, a dribbling ground ball off the pitcher and he ran his ass off slides into first mm-hmm. creates this play where they bobble they try to put a tag on him at first they bobble the ball away we score a run and then somebody hit a, a outfield base hit and julio goes first to home or maybe he stole second and then gets home so you go up two zero and it's like that's a kind of play where Julio's writing a name for himself. We're like, yeah, just the sheer will to do whatever it takes to lift the team up and to win the ball game. Like I've seen time and time again, Julio doing those things. Not that Griffey never didn't, but it's just a different right. way. Like Griffey would have done it by just hitting a dinger solo home run, yeah. two outs. Yeah. And like yeah. Julio's got this like, Kobe Bryant, Black Mamba competitiveness element where it's like obvious that he's playing to win the game. Yeah, well, and I think you put it best when you were just saying you want to you want to pick your words carefully because it's crazy that we're even talking about comparing someone to Griffey at this at this stage in his career, right? But at the same time, they they just they really do share a lot of similarities. Yeah. And um it's it's really hard not to compare the two. I've I I've I stated that before and I'll state that again. I think the distinguishing factor that I will say here that I think you're trying to allude to, and I'll just put it a different way, is their energy is just a little like their fun energy is a little bit different. Yeah. Griffey, I think, had a more laid-back, easygoing, fun energy to it. Yes. Whereas Julio is a more fiery, fun energy. Like, yeah, it has it has more uh, gusto to it, I guess. Yeah, and probably is it 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 makes it a little bit more entertaining to watch in like from from like an average viewer or someone that's new sure. to the game. Um, someone who appreciates the game. I mean, there's just no one like Griffey. It's just, it's, it's so smooth. It's, it's so silky. It's art. And it's, yeah, it's, it's little, it literally is art. Um, whereas Julio is just, it, he's got this competitive nature to him that it's just, it's so fiery. It's so fun. Um, and it's, it's contagious. Too. Yeah. And that was going to be my, 
going building off of your point earlier, the contagious factor of it and how it impacts the team where you're yeah. trying to like, you know, again, it is silly that we're comparing him to Griffey at this point, but it, it's impossible not to. We're like, that is a little bit of a difference. Like that contagious energy, a positive competitiveness, like competitiveness can go negative very quickly. The way that he so aptly and naturally brings this fun, loving approach to the game, but all in the, all in the name of winning is so contagious. And so that's where like earlier when we're talking about how all of a sudden the bottom of the lineup is showing up to win some of these key games to keep the streak alive. Like it's hard not to chalk some of that up to how Julio plays the game and how he interacts with his teammates. It is just a little bit different and not necessarily saying one way is better than the other, but like it is, it is Julio's way and it is different. And that is a departure of where at least our memories of Griffey, there's a bit of a difference there. And I didn't really think about it until just now when you're, when we were just talking about kind of the, the way Julio carries himself and his, his, his contagious, like fiery energy that service recently within the last couple of weeks moved Julio to the leadoff. Right. And I think that's an intentional thing to kind of set a tone for the lineup yeah. that, Hey, this guy is going to get us started and you're going to follow his lead as far as our energy and how we're attacking this game. He's going to get on base. He's going to steal and get to second. If he didn't hit a double Yep. and you're going to bring him home. He might even steal third. If he, if he makes the second, <laughs> yeah. so, um, obviously you can tell that Sam and I just think of the world of Julio and he's, he's so early in his career. He's so young and he's got a lot to live up to at this point, as far as expectations heaved upon him, but I think he'll do it. And I think he's going to be a, a household name in the Seattle area for years to come depart. Russell Wilson ah! income Julio Rodriguez. And I would take that trade 10 times out of 10. Talk about quite honest. Our qualm with Russell has always been authenticity. Julio is authentically himself. Correct. All the time. And he's the real deal. Yep. I do just want to, I just do just want to do a quick stat comparison. I'll try to run through this quick just because I know. Go for it. I think it's, I think it's important, but I, I, I know that we're running short on time. We're probably already over. Um, Julio is, is is an amazing player and he, and and he's shown that so far at the MLB level. I will say like you're talking about him being the face of baseball, he definitely has that. He definitely has that like potential. not only the charisma of him but like the the potential of his talents definitely could carry him to be that. I will say his rookie year still with like the three guys that you would point to in recent years that being Fernando Tatis Juan Soto, who we'll get back to in a second, and Ronald Acuna Jr. Like those guys basically all had superior stats their rookie years to what Julio has as of this moment, at least. I mean, right. Julio could go on a tear these last 60 to 70 games, and that could change. But for instance, even just with Ronald Acuna has the probably eh, no, Juan Soto actually probably has the 
lowest of these other three. Right. So I, I mentioned I mentioned Julio's stats, and we'll just go with the three big ones here with batting average, home runs, RBIs, 275, 16, and 52, respectively, is Julio's stats. Juan Soto, on the other hand, 292. This is over 116 games, I should say. But yeah. 292, it's almost 20 points higher than Julio. This is only four years ago. 22 home runs. So Julio probably eclipsed that in 116 games and 70 RBIs. That'll probably be pretty close. But the average yeah. for sure on Juan Soto's side, I think a lot of that has to do with Julio's first month. So right. that might be a wash. Ronald Cunha Jr. would be next up here. 293 batting average is in 111 games. 293 batting average, so one point higher than Juan Soto. 26 home runs and 64 RBIs. 20, I, I bet Julio probably ends the year with like mm, 28 to 30 home runs is kind of my yeah. guess. Um, but that's just purely speculation at this point. There is less than half. They call this the halfway point of the season, but there's a lot less than half the games right. left. So he's going to have to even play pretty well to even get to, you know, that 28 to 30 mark. But mm -hmm. I think that's, that's real. I still think that's pretty realistic. So that's Ronald Acuna. Best of the bunch here, Fernando Tatius, who has definitely the highest deal out of all these guys too, which is kind of leading me right. to my next point here. 317 batting average. This is in 84 games. Okay. Yeah. Only 84 games his rookie year. 317 batting average, much higher, but obviously a little bit smaller of a sample size. 22 home runs, however, in only 84 games and 53 yeah. RBIs, which both eclipse what Julio is, is on pace to do right now, or it has done so far this year. So I, all I want to say is there's, there's some good, damn good players in baseball right now. And mm -hmm. um, I would say of those four players that we're talking, Julio probably has the best personality to be the face of MLB, I would say, going forward. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the other guys are fun in their own way. I think they're a little bit quieter, though. Juan Soto is probably the most kind of, I guess, flashy, I think, of the other three. Yeah. Tatis has his kind of home run trot thing, but I don't think he's really a, you know, super outspoken dude that's like super... He's cocky in his kind of quiet way, but I don't, he's not like a major like yeah, charisma guy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So again, all I'm saying is there's other, there's other guys that could be faces of baseball too. Three um, other guys. As, as Yeah, <laughs> only three. Uh, <laughs> not to mention Mike Trout and all of them. Uh, but anyway, I, I, these... Uh, these are kind of the four guys that I kind of see as kind of the future of, of baseball yeah. though. And for Julio to even be on that plane. And like, I've watched some of these other guys over the last couple of years in their rookie seasons and the success, they, the quick success that they've had. And I'm just like, God damn, I want that so bad. And I thought that we were going to get some of that with Kelnick obviously didn't happen. And I was like, okay, well, next up is Julio. I think Julio is on a different level yeah. based on everything that I've read. And so far I've been right about that. But I was definitely wrong about Kelnick, so I'll own that as well. Um, so I guess we we could we're a little short on time, so we don't have to cover everything. I guess what makes sense for you the most? I mean, we can continue this Julio topic a little bit and kind of like what we should do as far as like 
his financial future in Seattle and stuff. I think it's safe in Seattle, but like, what does that look like? We could talk a little bit about that in comparison to some of these other players that I just listed, or we could talk about the trade deadline approaching kind of what are the next steps for like, I mean, what, what does this team add before the deadline? Yeah. Um, and kind of how does the rest of this, this season pan out here for the Mariners? And we'll for sure talk before the end of the season again, but um, yeah. just kind of a, a preview for this last quote unquote half of, of the year. Yeah. I think we should definitely move to towards what to expect with the Mariners team for the rest of cool. the year in terms yeah, of who I we're agree. adding. But I think we can touch on Julio really quick. Like at the end of the day, we got to lock him up. And I think as of right now, yeah. he's kind of on a year-to-year deal, rookie contract situation. He really has no negotiating power with the Mariners through 2025. After that, it would go to arbitration, which we would obviously want to avoid ruffling feathers in, in that respect, player versus team. So I wouldn't be surprised to see an extension, a new contract being made with Julio and the Mariners relatively soon probably in the next year i would imagine yeah and that's fair. i think you know we don't have to go into the details but his his deal is going to mimic you know the fernando tatis deal the ron cunha deal juan soto's obviously made headlines he rejected a 15 year 440 million dollar deal from the nationals so yep you can look up those deals and ballpark that like Julio is going to be coming in right around that same area. My guess is that we're going to probably sign him to an eight to 12 year deal. I don't know that the Mariners are going to go 15. Um, yeah, but Julio is going to get paid and he's going to be a Mariner for the foreseeable future. There's no way we let him go. Yep. And so I think, you know, that's probably a whole conversation in and of itself in terms of what that ends up shaking out to be. But the reality is the Mariners have complete control over Julio through 2025. And when you have a superstar potential future face of the MLB type player, you don't mess around. You get, you get a deal done. And I fully anticipate that happening. So you're going to come out on his bed and say, Hey, Seattle. No, we got a deal. No. I don't foresee Julio doing anything like that. I know I said my piece on this, Sam. I'm pretty sure you feel the same, but would you take Julio 10 times out of 10 over Russ? Yes. Russ, I I will always and, appreciate And that's given given the unknown. Like given we don't yes. know what Julio's career over the next decade's going to be. But would you take a decade of Julio over a decade of Russ? And Russ brought like uh, Russ brought you a Super Bowl. So if you could trade that in, would you still take Julio? Oh, so you're saying like hypothetically, Mm -hmm. if I had to trade the last eight, nine years with the last decade of Russ, would you trade that for what Julio is now and could be? You're betting on future. It's really tough. That's a really tough call, to be honest. I think Julio's the Mariners winning a World Series is just fucking unfathomable for me at this point. Um, So Russ. They're setting. I will. Say, they're setting up their roster to be a top five organization in the league for the next decade. Yeah, I just don't know that I feel good about trading in a Super Bowl and everything. That I get Russ it. Did. I, 
it's so, a, and it's a sure thing because it already happened. So yeah, so I would have a really hard time doing that. The fact that I'm even tempted says a lot about <laughs> where Julio's at. If the yeah. if the if the hypothetical question was rephrased to the next eight years of Russ versus the next years of Julio, it's not oh, even for a sure. question. Yeah, it's not even a question. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like we should. I, I was trying to make remember, it interesting though. Remember that hypothetical. We need to ask Justin. I'd be very, very curious to get his thoughts on that. I think I, I think I would know his answer. I think he would go. I Russ. think he, yeah, he loves football way more than baseball. So I think. Well, oh, Andy's. Go Russ. Andy's. He's gonna take a bird in the hand versus two in the bush. So. Yeah. That's a Which good hypothetical. I, I like it. All right. More to come on that one. So stay yeah. tuned on that one, folks. TBD. All right. Yeah, exactly. So where does this team go from here? Are we done I mean, with the Julio talk? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think from here, okay. like for the first time since 2001, I think we can confidently say that the Mariners better be buying. They should have tra- been last this, year. This trade deadline. Well, well, yeah. I mean, last year you could look and say like where we were some of yeah, I mean, we probably should have been buying last year, but it wasn't – you were not anywhere near the same place as this team is right? year over year. That's fair. And so the reality well, is is I'm expecting the Mariners to be buying, and I guess the question to you is if we're out there at the trade deadline trying to make something happen, I know some crazy Mariners fans out there saying, like, sell the farm system and try to trade for Juan Soto. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. But, like – what are we'll, you? We'll expecting? go over that theoretical trade by the Athletic here in a second with Juan Soto. But uh, to answer your 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 question though about the trade deadline, so the the first thing that we're going to need is a starting pitcher. Yeah, and that can come wherever. It can be a back half of the rotation, middle of the rotation. If they really want to get aggressive and get a frontline rotation starter, they could do that as well. Main reason for this being is they are they are managing young arms right now and yeah. kirby's got an innings limit on him they obviously already sent him down they're bringing him back up after the break to uh you know become become in in the rotation again or be a part of the rotation again but that being said if, if you have to be thinking about september october here at this point yeah. right if, and you've if got, you're in this position and you've got a solid four in robbie ray marco gonzalez logan gilbert and flexen so you got to find that a... note. Well, but on that note, Gilbert's even a young arm and they have to manage him a little bit even too. Yeah, like, that's true. Even though he's in his even though he's in his second year and, you know, he's been kind of your ace this year so far for the most part. Robbie Ray's yeah. been for sure your ace over the last month or so, but if you're looking at the full, you know, season at this point, Logan Gilbert's been your best pitcher like most consistently yeah. at least. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, he's, he's, he's still a young arm and you still have to manage his innings a bit. Um, he's gotten a lot of work this, this first, again, quote unquote, half of the season. Right. And, um, you want him to be fresh and be able to pitch well late into September and in, into October, if you're thinking playoffs. So you have to manage that a little bit. So it it may not even be one starter. It may be one or even two starters that you're acquiring. And one of them may be kind of like a, 
bridge guy or they go to a six-man rotation for a little bit just to mo- manage some of the innings in, in some of these guys. Um, but nonetheless, like if you're in this position, you have to look towards the future. And it's really not even just your young arms. You want even someone like Robbie Ray. You want someone like Marco Gonzalez pitching their best in September and October. And to do that, you're going to have to make sure that you manage some of their innings now. So starting pitching is going to be the first place. Yeah. I don't know what like what that market looks like really right Neither now. I. So I haven't done enough research on it. Um, I know if you're looking at some of the bad teams like a Frankie Montas immediately stands out on the A's. If mm-hmm. you could package a trade for him or something like that, hopefully you wouldn't have to sell. I don't think you'd have to sell the farm for him. I don't know his club control or anything like that, but even if he's a one or two year rental, he'd be a valuable addition as far as his right. talent level to this starting pitching rotation. Um, I'm sure there's several other guys and a lot of guys that are probably kind of like the middle of middle of the order guys that would right. be great additions. So that that's kind of the first place that I'm looking. I think another reliever is always good. I think the bullpen's been awesome, but at the same time, I think another reliever just can't help, can't hurt at this point. And you always see that move from all the contending teams as they try yeah. to get at least one more reliever from one of the bad teams or selling teams. Uh, backup catcher wouldn't be a bad move. Um, Luis Torrens has been oft injured. Tom. Murphy is out for the year. Cal Raleigh's, you're, I mean, probably five five days of the week starter for the most yeah. part. But you're going to need someone to fill in that time. Luis Torrens has not been that great this year either, even when he's been healthy. Yeah, not reliable. Um, so, yeah, so upgrading that wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, that being said, don't, like, spend valuable resources on yeah. that. So if you can't get that, it's not the end of the world. And then the the off question is just second base. Do you add an impact bat at second base? Um, you could even look at outfield, but I think the outfield's about to get pretty crowded, um, just with the guys that we have returning. Though those yeah, guys that are was going to be my point. So, is um, I think you end up like I definitely think there'll be a focus on starting pitcher, relief pitching, and then I think you're in a position where if you if you have a deal that makes sense at backup catcher adding a bat at second base or adding an outfielder. It's like, I don't think that we're going to get all of those three. If you can get two of those three, then I think we're in a really good spot because I do think adding an impact bat at second base would be really big. Although Frazier has been, he's been definitely picking it up recently. And then to your point about the outfield potentially getting crowded, I, I feel like we had it even recorded on a podcast earlier in the year going into the season as like a season preview, we were talking about how jammed up the outfield was going into the season, but you just look and at injuries happen. some of these injuries. So it's like, I'm definitely and Kelnick looking, didn't pan out. Kelnick doesn't pan out. You have injuries, but he's been Kyle playing Lewis, well injuries to Mitch Hanniger. So I wouldn't be opposed to looking to the outfield either. Just adding a depth player out yeah. there. Um, I will say that uh, I'm I'm perfectly fine with Sam Haggerty. Dylan Moore a little less so. I think he's I think he's filled in admirably lately. Yes. But I would not count on Dylan Moore the rest of the way as far as just like that you shouldn't you should not count on that. You shouldn't bank on his production going forward. Yeah. I think you're really what you're doing is adding some 
some fire to the pitching staff, both starting pitcher and relief pitching. And then you're yep. really, honestly, if we're putting it bluntly, you're, you're replacing Dylan Moore and Toro. As kind of well, your Toro's utility. Already, Toro's players. already going to get replaced by Kyle Lewis, probably, on the roster. At yeah, least. I mean, you hope so. But I honestly, but, watching yeah, Kyle I get Lewis it. run the bases, I, I don't feel good. Yeah, I get it. In theory, you're 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 trying to replace a couple bats that maybe one's an impact bat, but at least you're getting like at the very least you should get some depth somewhere, right? Yeah. That's some, a little bit of a higher of a higher ceiling depth, yeah, or better even better floor. quality, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, before we wrap up here, unless you got anything else to say as no. far as like I think those are kind of kind of where we're leaning towards uh, as as far as trade deadline approaching like the acquisitions that we could be making so yeah and the draft just ended so jerry should be on the phones pretty much 24 7 at this point trying to acquire talent i think the the deadline's august 2nd so he's got a little less than two weeks to make something happen it'll probably get more busy as that deadline approaches but i wouldn't be surprised if he makes a move sooner rather than later especially with the gauntlet that we have coming our way here (laughs) right out of the gate um Let's just go over this proposed trade. I think both of us are on the same side of this, but there are seven teams that have contacted the, the Washington Nationals about acquiring Juan Soto, who has recently, as Sam said earlier, rejected a 15-year, $440 million deal with that team. So if they can't sign him to that deal, they're going to trade him, obviously. Right. Whether that be this this year, he's still got two and a half years of club control on him. So whether yeah. it's this year, it could even be this offseason, could be next year. Like they can be patient with this and wait it out if they want to. Yeah. Um, that being said, his highest value is of course going to be right now. Um, so if you want the most return for what you're selling, then they should deal him now. There are seven teams that have inquired about his services, and one of those is the Mariners. There's a proposed trade according to MLB.com that the Mariners would get Juan Soto. This is all theoretical, just to be to be clear here. Mariners would get Juan Soto. The Nationals would in return get George Kirby, Emerson Hancock, Harry Ford, Jared, Jared Kelnick, Noel V. Marte, and Juan Pinto. Sounds like a lot. It's, it's obviously a lot, okay? But you don't acquire Juan Soto, a 21-year-old phenom talent at this point in his career without basically selling your entire farm system. Yeah. That's the proposed deal. Would you take it? Yes or no? Hell no. And here's why. You don't you don't trade your entire farm system for the kind of player that you could potentially buy in free agency. And while Juan Soto this is, is three years down the road, but yeah. Yeah, and while Juan Soto is, you know, he's pairing him and Julio in the outfield is salivating for sure. But I think yeah. if you really look at it, like what I what I would rebuttal with is why would you trade away your farm system and instead keep your farm system and then go buy somebody like Aaron Judge? Yep. That's so to me. That's a total no deal. I would never yep. make that trade. I also just don't think that's addressing your it's roster. It's not addressing a need. Addressed. 
Well, and and not only that, for me, it's the George Kirby and Emerson Hancock part of this no deal. No way. No way. That starting pitcher is starting pitching as we've seen over the last month is so fucking important in this league. Yeah. George Kirby's going to be a star. Like he's going to be good. You can already tell. Emerson yeah. Hancock just lit it up at the Futures game. Oh, he was yeah. our only representative there. And he's almost a surefire, you know, at least at least like a middle of the road starter for you. And those I, that's that's your future right there. And as far as the rotation, that Logan Gilbert, you got Robbie Ray locked up and probably like Marco Gonzalez. That's like your starting yeah. five for the next five years. Yeah. You don't, you don't trade your farm that. system. You don't trade your farm system. I'm not trading, like, that. I'm not trading Julio I've, Rodriguez. I've already said my piece ago. about Noel, Noel Marte too. I I'm really high on him. So yeah. I, and I get it. It is all prospects compared to like a basically done deal with Juan Soto, but it's, that's, it, this is what we've been building for, right? And you don't trade that away for one player, even if he's a, even if he's a superstar. You need yeah. length in your lineup, and you I need totally, starting pitching. I totally agree. Um, so that's where I'm at. I know we need to wrap up here. So yeah. So I, I would just say, what? Get your coffee. Watch your YouTube highlights. Get on the bandwagon. The Mariners have been fun. Watch Julio. Go to a game if you can. If you can't make it to the game because it's sold out. Go to Everett, watch Noel V. Marte, have a good time, hang out with the Aqua Sox Memorial Stadium. And, yeah, go Mariners. I'm pretty pumped. This is the most pumped I've been since I can remember. Yeah, obviously a huge series coming up here against the Astros this weekend. And from the looks of it, the fans are going to show out. So hopefully the team shows up too. And, I mean – I. I'm not I'm not trying to get greedy here. Like I mean it'd be awesome to sweep the Astros. Right now we're 10 back. And it'd <laughs> be helpful. Like as as well as we have played, we're still 10 back of of the Astros for first place in the West. So yeah. I, I mean, you can try to put your Buner hat on and say fuck the wild card, we're going for the division, but it it's it's going to be a be, tough one. If, yeah. Because the Astros are a damn good team too; they're not the Angels that are going to fall apart like they did in '95. Um, yeah, but you, you never say never. And I like if there's any team that I wouldn't bet against right now, it's it's these guys and the way that they're rolling. So hopefully we can at least you know win the series, steal two out of three against the Astros, pick up a game in in the division. They just beat the Yankees twice today in in a doubleheader that they were making up. <laughs> which makes me very sad or actually, I don't know if they were even making that up. That might've been a scheduled doubleheader because they have those this year. Um, but any, nonetheless, I, that made me sad because the Yankees are the best team in the MLB. Yeah. So I was feeling pretty good about them, you know, beating the Astros at least one of those games and we'd stay par nine games back. But I guess that was wishful thinking. Uh, obviously was. the Astros are playing, playing pretty good baseball right now too. So this is, is going to be, huge test for the club and um i i know sam said uh there was like 80 percent of our next next you know several games are against these two teams the astros and the yankees that being it to be exact here it's 10 of the next 13 are against those two teams and 13 of the next 20 yeah so we're gonna see a lot of very very good opposition here in the near future Playoff baseball. 
it it's going to be playoff intensity at this point. Like you need it to be because you need to come out of this above water and you need to come out probably at least, I don't know. We're nine games over 500 right now. If we're like six games over 520 games, I think that you'd call that not necessarily a win, but like adequate. You can, you can make it happen from there. Yeah. You're about at the position that you're right now, though, about 10 games over 500, which is tough, but it's, it's doable. It's, it's possible, especially the way this this team's been playing. So let's hope they can keep it up. Yeah. I mean, it's a brutal gauntlet for sure. (laughs) After that though, it lightens up quite a bit for us. Like we still have a lot of games against the A's, the angels, even the Rangers coming up and yeah, there's a lot of bottom feeders besides the Astros. So uh, the goal is here that they, they like for the wild card, at least that picture, all the AL East teams are going to, you know, claw away at each other and tear each other apart. Yeah. As we're going to be able to kind of beat up on the AL West in theory. And we'll hopefully rise to the top. Come, yeah. come, but we'll see how it all goes. There's still a lot to be decided, but I, I like where this team's at and given the right moves at the deadline, um, I like their chances and I could not have said that a month ago. So no kidding. I'm, I'm thankful for that. All right. Anything else you want to touch on tonight, Samuel? I think that wraps everything up. All right. Well, we will put a wrap on it then. Episode 59. Thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already, and leave us a message via the anchor link in our description. Ask us all the Julio questions. We know this guy. We've you know crossed crossed it crossed it to a T and dotted it with an I. We know this guy from like the back of our own hands. So if you have any Julio questions, ask Sam. And and if if I don't know, I'll just tell Connor to call him up. He's got him on speed dial. I do. Yeah. We're like besties. So it's great. Anyway, until next time, go dogs and go nerds.